You are listening to sermon audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to connect, visit us online at gracecc.net. My name is Gabe. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace, and uh, I am part of the uh, team uh, of leaders, uh, the pastor at um, at the fourth service, the Hispanic ministry that meets this afternoon at two. And um, I'm just excited about um, God's word this morning. And uh, before I begin, I want to tell you a little story. Um, when in 2004, my wife, Carrie, and I, and our son, Caleb, um, and our daughter, Selah, who was pretty young, <laughs> I think like three or four months, um, we moved to Bolivia, where we lived as missionaries for four years. And we lived there. Uh, in four years, you get a good picture of what a country is like, some good things, and after a while, you begin to realize the things you miss about, about the United States. You begin to miss the things that you, know, you, you might take for granted while living here. Uh, but Bolivia is, is a warm culture. One of the things I like about it is that you know, people are really important. When you sit and have a conversation with some, you know, you're talking with someone, that moment is really important. And, uh, you know, if it kind of pushes you past your schedule, maybe you had an appointment, it's not a big deal. You know, the, the next person will just know that's how life works and you might be late. Um, it still happens to me every now and then. And some people in here might know that. Um, but, <clears throat> you know, that's one thing I really like about Bolivia. It's just people are really important. And uh, another thing is, is our siestas. Uh, anyone like taking a siesta here? <laughs> All right, yeah. Siestas are really important. Um, it's in Bolivia from 12 to 2, you know, this is like a social law. Um, you, you go home, you eat, and then you feel like napping. Well, that's exactly what you do. Things just shut down, stores shut down. Um, it's kind of rude to show up at someone's house in that window. You can show up late at night, probably would be okay, but not during the siesta. That's not okay. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's important. Um, so those are a couple of things that are, that are really nice about living in Bolivia. Some things that you take for granted, some things that you miss about the United States are the really nice roads, you know, four lanes of traffic in some places or more. Um, but just being able to go from one place to another fast, you know, 65 miles an hour almost, you got to stay that one under 64, uh, but anyway, uh, getting places, that's, uh, in Bolivia, you might have a vehicle that has a V8, it could have a lot of power, could go really fast, but your road's going to tell you how fast you can actually really go. Uh, so um, another thing, being able to go to the grocery store and find just about anything you want, oh, that's pretty nice. In Bolivia, if you want to get bread, Make sure you go early in the morning <laughs> uh, because by about 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, um, you know, the bread's not there. All the ladies that celebrate actually pack up and leave. And uh, so if you do find anything, it's not going to be the greatest stuff. Um, clean water. Wow. Being able to just pour it out of the tap and drink it, Oregon is blessed. Um, just being able to just drink it. I mean, when I first came to Oregon, I literally thought I could just dip my cup in any river and just drink it. This is amazing. Um, but, you know, in Bolivia, it was, y y y if you drank it, there was a chance you were going to get sick. So here's a question for you. You wake up tomorrow morning, 
and there's no electricity for about three months. How might that affect your life? Okay, it, it changes things, doesn't it? Um, how many of you remember this day, September 11th, 2001? Do you remember this? Okay. Remember what you were doing? Yeah, I think this was asked just a few weeks ago by someone else, but I remember I was at a private Christian school. We heard the news. All of us uh, went into this chapel, and we watched as the second tower got hit. And uh, it changed life in the United States. Travel has never been the same. Uh, travel through by air, it's just not the same. Uh, but it changes. Things change. Are, are there any guarantees that good things that we have will just go on. Uh, a few weeks ago, a guy named Rolando, there was a preview up here, he, he got baptized, and uh, he did a video. Uh, in his video, he told, basically told how he came to Christ. One of the reasons why he came to Christ was that he got into a car accident, and people got, well, everything was damaged, but people, the people in it were Okay. They were okay. And in that moment, he realized that, you know, things are going really well for me. But that doesn't mean they're guaranteed. At any moment, they could just be gone. And so he said, he asked his wife, would you, would you call uh, that pastor and ask him what time the service is? We'd like to, we'd like to come. And so I saw him that afternoon. Um, a few weeks later, he said, I want to get baptized. So he did the video. And on Sunday, I baptized him. What we didn't know was that on Monday, his wife told me that they had just found out the Friday before that his daughter, who's 21, has cancer. And I dunked him right here. And I remember thinking, I had no idea. He didn't show it. But he chose, I want Jesus. I, you know, I, I want to get baptized. This is what I need to do. Um, brokenness. Hmm. The good things in life, oh, here's, here's one thing that is a good thing, I think, but it could also be a very bad thing. What if it erupted? You know, I live in Sandy. It's not that far. Um, <laughs> but, you know, um, it's just there's, there's no guarantee. The good things in life aren't guaranteed to go on. In Luke chapter 21, we find the disciples are admiring the temple. And it says this, some of his disciples were remarking about how the temple was adorned with beautiful stones and with gifts dedicated to God. They're looking at Herod's temple constructed uh, in the first century before Christ. And um, they're just, they're admiring the temple. You gotta get a little bit of context as to why they're admiring it. For us, it'd be a little bit like the Statue of Liberty, only backwards in time. Um, the Statue of Liberty, how many of you have seen it? Okay, yeah. When I remember going, when I, was, when I went to see it, I was pretty young, but I remember thinking about what it meant and you know how when people traveled from Europe, that's the first thing they'd see and just thinking about freedom, liberty, a place for opportunities. Well, as the disciples are admiring the temple, they had just previously in the story throughout Luke, they had gone out proclaiming that the kingdom of God is at hand. It's near. 
Peter flat out looked at Jesus and said, you are the Messiah, are the Christ, the son of the living God. You know what that, that meant to Peter and to these guys? Jesus was going to set up, restore the nation of Israel. Jerusalem would be the capital of Israel, not only of, of Israel, but of the world. And the centerpiece of the kingdom would be the temple. So they're looking at this and thinking, freedom is coming. And they're just anticipating this and maybe getting excited. And here's what Jesus says. He says, as for what you see here, the time will come when not one stone will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. Could you imagine? Someone says, the Statue of Liberty is going to be destroyed. But this is bigger. The temple is going to be destroyed. Could you imagine the shock? Here, you're the Messiah. <laughs> this is supposed to be the centerpiece. And it's going to be destroyed. I'd imagine they were very confused. Hmm. So they ask, teacher, they ask, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they're about to take place? Wouldn't you wonder? Yeah, these guys, maybe they have kids, family, relatives, people they care about. They care about the temple. And they're wondering, when? How? And, and they're just confused. So Jesus is going to prepare them. He, here's, here's what he says. He replied, watch out that you are not deceived. For many will come in my name claiming I am he. And the time is near. Do not follow them. When you hear of wars and uprisings, do not be frightened. These things must happen first, but the end will not come right away. Then he said to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, famines and pestilences in various places and fearful events and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will seize you and persecute you. They will hand you over to synagogues and put you in prison. And you will be brought before kings and governors and all on account of my name. And so you will bear testimony of me. But make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourselves. For I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. You will be betrayed by parents, brothers and sisters, relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. Everyone will hate you because of me, but not a hair of your head will perish. Stand firm and you will win life. When you see Jerusalem being surrounded by armies, you will know that its desolation is near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those in the city get out and let those in the country not enter the city. For this is the time of punishment and fulfillment of all that has been written. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. There will be great distress in the land of wrath against this people. They will fall by the sword and will be taken as prisoners to all the nations. Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. There will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars. On the earth, nations will be in, in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. People will faint from terror 
apprehensive of what is coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. So this is Jesus' response. When is it going to happen? How? Jesus doesn't quickly answer this. In fact, look at what he says. He starts out by saying, watch out that you're not deceived. For many will come in my name claiming I am he and the time is near. Do not follow them. Hmm. False saviors. Here they are. They just heard the temple is going to be destroyed. Maybe they're even wondering, well, is Jesus the Messiah then? And as they think about this, Jesus, that's the first thing he answers. Watch out. Many are going to come. They're going to say, I am he. I am, what is he? I am the Savior. I am the one who is your Messiah. Um, years later, John would write, even now many antichrists or anti-saviors have come. These were people, maybe even in this conversation with Jesus, there were disciples or people following him, people like Judas, who after Jesus' death, turned. And they started preaching, no, he's not the Messiah. In fact, there is another Messiah. Or maybe they started preaching hope in religion or works or in some other person or some kind of institution. So there were false teachers. But there were also leaders, authority figures who emperors and kings over the course of history that had this Messiah mentality that would say, I'm, I'm going to save you. You know, even in our own history, I'd like to uh, read some slogans, some ca- presidential campaign slogans to you, okay? A- and could you just think about the Messiah mentality, the I'm going to save you mentality? Maybe you could guess whose campaign it was. Are you ready? Okay. Um, Vote yourself a farm and horses. Anyone? Come on, some older people might get this. Just kidding. Okay. Uh, Abraham Lincoln. Okay. Ready? Don't change horses midstream. Abraham Lincoln, second term. Okay. Okay. To assure continued prosperity, Teddy Roosevelt. Happy days are here again, Franklin D. Roosevelt. A safer world and a more hopeful America. A safer world and a more hopeful America, George W. Bush. For people, for change, putting people first, Bill Clinton. Here's where it gets kind of fun. Uh, Change we need, change we can believe in. Barack Obama, okay. Now, I'm going to suggest you not say out loud who you think this one is, because make, let's make America great again. (laughs) I would say how many of you said Donald Trump, but Ronald Reagan said it before him, and and someone earlier said Nixon did too. So, um, there you go. But could you see what they're saying? I'm your savior. Just trust me. I'll make things right. I can guarantee things are going to go well. Can any of these men guarantee (laughs) that Mount Hood's not going to blow up? It's not in their power. 
There, there, there is no guarantee. So Jesus says, watch out that you're not deceived. Don't put your trust in false messiahs. Um, he also said, be careful of those that say the time is near. Because there are a lot of people out there saying, hey, Jesus is coming back. It's going to happen next week at this time. You know, at 1042 next Sunday, he's coming. Get ready. Sell everything you got. You know, um, you can quit your job now. Be careful. Don't, don't go there. That's, be careful of those who are trying to speculate on a time. They're trying to count the numbers. Oh, look at how things all line up. And Okay, be careful of that. Um, Jesus says, watch out for the false saviors. Interestingly, he says, when you hear of wars and uprisings, do not be frightened. Do the disciples have a reason to be frightened? He just told them, the temple's gonna be destroyed. You will be trampled on by the Gentiles. If you were there and you have family, you have people you care about, would there be reason for fear? Yeah. Let me ask you, what are the things that bring fear into our lives, into your life? The fear of losing a child, maybe? When we were in Bolivia, my daughter Essie was born. She weighed just a little over three pounds at birth at the eighth month. When she was born, it was an emergency C-section. And uh, I saw her come out, and she looked like a starving baby, just flesh and bones. And her eyes were way back in, in their socket. And the doctor looked at me. At, Carrie didn't see Essie. I did. And the doctor looked at me, and she said, your baby has a 30% chance to live. Be grateful you have your wife. That's brokenness, and it hurt. And I, my wife was taken to ICU, and then when she was finally coming back around, she asked, how's the baby? What am I supposed to say to her? How do you say something? She's not doing well. We live in a world that is, that is broken. Fear of losing a child, or fear of maybe an adult child, wondering how they're doing. The fear of my own character. Maybe, maybe you struggle with anger or habits or there's something you're hiding and you're ashamed of. Does it bring fear into your life? Last week, Jay mentioned a pastor that had some character as he was tempted and he fell. And he, Jay said, hey, by the grace of God, that could be me. You know, that could have been me, except for the grace of God. And isn't that us? Are we afraid of the world becoming a dark place? As we think about the moral character of our society, I know a couple that's leaving Oregon, going to Idaho because of this. Fear. Maybe you stay up at night you're afraid of falling asleep. Maybe you're afraid to go to work or to take a test. I don't know. What Jesus is telling these guys is that he's not here to physically save them, 
from their problems. Not right now. In fact, Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. What he's saying is, don't be afraid. It's all part of the plan. Someone is over, someone is over all of this. Don't be afraid. Jesus is saying this world, these things must happen first, but the end will not come right away. Then he said to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Hmm. These things are supposed to happen. They, you know, when you think of the fall of the temple, wars, hunger, disease, natural disasters, they're going to continue to be part of life. I know you guys are looking forward to the, to the messianic kingdom and, and you think it's happening now. I'm sorry, it's not. What's happening now is that I want you to live in this brokenness and so this is all supposed to happen. The end isn't coming right away. So if, if there are no guarantees for life to be good and it's, it's a fact that we're going to experience brokenness, the question is how do we respond? How do you live Life. How do you face it? Listen to Jesus. Tells, he tells the disciples the brokenness of the world, especially for them. He's going to go in and he's going to start talking about um, the brokenness they're going to experience. But before all this, they will seize you and persecute you. They will hand you over to synagogues and put you in prison and you will be brought before kings and governors. You're going to suffer. And he says, so you will bear testimony of me. There's going to be a purpose in their, su in their suffering. Um, you will be betrayed even by parents, brothers and sisters, relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. They're going to suffer. But as they suffer, he says, you're going to be witnesses in a broken world. You're going to be witnesses in the brokenness out there, even in the brokenness in you. What do you mean witnesses? What do you think it means? In 1 John chapter 1, years later, here's what John says. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testify to it, witnessing it, sharing it, right? And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship. You may have community with us. And our fellowship, our community is not just with us, it's with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. This is about God breathing life into a broken world. That's what it's about. I sat down with a man a while back. He came, we started talking, he said, my marriage is falling apart. Can you help me? <laughs> That's way out of my depths. I said, well, we can talk about it. Let's see what we can do. And as we start talking about it, I, I asked him, look, I just need to ask you, we can work on, on the things you can do in your marriage to, to try, but I just need to ask you a question. How's your relationship with Jesus Christ? And he said, well, what do you mean? 
I said, I mean, you know, like we're talking right now, we're having a conversation. How's your conversation with Jesus? How's your friendship with him? And he said, no one's ever put it that way. So then as we continue to talk about Jesus and about him being the source of life, that no matter what happens, whether your marriage gets restored or not, you can experience life in brokenness. He began to wonder. And then I asked him, what are you going to do with Jesus? And as I watched him, he sat there just thinking. You could tell he wanted to do something, but he said, you're hesitating. Tell me why. What's, what's, what's stopping you? And he said, well, everybody's going to think I'm just doing this to get her back. You're going to think that. <laughs> and I said, yeah, you're right. I am going to think that. But it doesn't matter what I think. And it doesn't matter what everybody else thinks. What matters is what Jesus thinks. And if he's real and you trust in him, he will show the reality of this as time goes, it, he's going to work. So he said, I need Jesus. And then he started talking to Jesus. And he said, Jesus, I need you. My way is not working. I need you in my life. And over the past uh, year and, and a half, he's been walking in a relationship with Christ. He got baptized. And restoration in his life may not look the way he wanted it to look, but God's grace is working in his life, and he's using people in this very room. He's in community. God is at work in the middle of brokenness. What does being a witness of the life that Jesus offers look like in your life? What does it look like? when you share Christ with others, um, one of the ways in which the world sees life, uh, sees the life of Christ in us is, is in community, when they see us together. The way you stop in the lobby, when people come and they've never been here, or they hang out with a bunch of people who love Jesus and they just come in, it's weird. Whoa, he doesn't know me. Why is he talking to me? Why does he care? Why does, why does she care? But when you talk to someone in the lobby and you just, you know, the way you talk to someone or the way you, you ask them, how are you doing? And you really are interested. You're really willing to listen. Or maybe going to someone and say, how can I pray for you? And expecting a, <laughs> a prayer request and then going and praying about it and then coming back and saying, how is that going, by the way? That's different. That's the life of Christ. It's sharing God's life with each other. It's about community. And it's, it's, it's such a valuable way. I see that here at Grace Community Church. One of the ways that we will see it in a few weeks is at Community Care Day when we go to East Gresham. And we just love, love the building. Maybe we're praying for the kids, praying for the teachers. But we want to love people in our community. So we go and we serve. We sacrifice. It's an opportunity to, to show people the love of Christ. As we go back and, and look at what Jesus is saying to the disciples, we also see one more thing. God takes rejection seriously 
It's a serious matter to reject God. Um, For this is the time of punishment, Jesus said. And then later on he said, Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles. In another passage, two chapters back, Jesus said this, because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you, speaking of Jerusalem, they didn't recognize the salvation of God is right there, and because of this, the punishment of God is coming. As we've been looking through through the Luke series, over and over again, we see Jesus being compassionate, not just to the people who know they're broken, and who say, yeah, I'm a sinner, I need Jesus, but he's compassionate with those who reject him. Over and over again, he warns them. He sits down with them, and he, he, he talks to them. He sits down with the Pharisees and scribes who want to kill him and has dinner with them. That's like a relationship thing. He loves them, but at some point, After rejection, rejection, at some point, God says, okay, that was it. I gave you that last chance. And this is Jerusalem experiencing that. 70 AD, in 70 AD, Jerusalem was surrounded by Titus the Mede and his army. And he went past three layers of walls. Finally, to the temple, which was like a fortress. And they burnt it. The gold was melting through the cracks and the soldiers were lifting up stones. It was destroyed. And it's been destroyed to this day. The Gentiles trampled on Jerusalem. But it's interesting. It says Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Let me ask you, who are the Gentiles? Not Jews? Not correct. Not Jews. Let me ask you again. Who are the Gentiles? Us. I'm a Gentile. But let me ask you a different way. To the Jews, Gentiles were outsiders. They were different. Who are Gentiles to you? Or who are outsiders to you? Here Jesus is talking about the disciples being witnesses. And previously he had told them, you know, go into all the world and make disciples. Go to all the world and make disciples. It's, it's not just here, it's outside with people you're not comfortable with. Who are outsiders to you? Do you, are, do you have relationships with people who are not like you, who are different? I really enjoy when I, I'm walking through the hallways in the mornings or days and there are people from, um, you know, Arab countries or, um, you, you know, they're just different, different people. I've seen Egyptian couples here, families. There are people in here right now who are not, um, who, who are not English. English isn't their primary language. They're different. Do you have relationships? Do you reach out? Do you share Christ with those people because we're called to this, the times of Gentiles are being fulfilled. We're part of that today. And we're called to reach out and share the love of Christ with those people. Um, In the next few verses, this is apocalyptic language. It's like resistance language, which we heard about in the book of Daniel. Uh, It says, there will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars 
On the earth, nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. This is talking about the end of the world. The end of the world is coming. But what's the point? Look at this in verse 26. People will faint from terror. When we're faced with brokenness, as brokenness gets more intense, what happens? People faint from terror. That's what the world does. But is that what we do? Talks about, he goes, I said, you know, at that time, when things are really coming apart, and when things are at the end, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. This is in reference to a prophecy from Daniel. When Daniel's talking about the empires that will come and go, come and go, come and go, at the end, the Son of Man will come in the cloud. He is man, but he is God. He's the king. He's the one who's going to judge the world. And he's coming. Jesus is saying, he's going to come. And how will we respond? Will we respond like the world does? Or how do we respond? When these things begin to take place, stand up. Stand up. Lift up your heads because your redemption is near. Are you looking forward to Christ's return? I know there are a lot of fears. Death is, is one of them. Even for the disciples, they're thinking, yeah, war is going to bring death. But here, Jesus is going to come back. I'm coming back. He says, you know, I'm coming back, so stay connected. That's what he's going to tell them. Just stay connected to me. Let's be in relationship. This life in brokenness, it's about me and you through all of this. And I am coming back. And when redemption is near and everybody faints, you stand up. The world needs to see hope. Hope that transcends the brokenness. And where are they going to see that? In us. In the witnesses. In those who have life. In those who have Jesus. And he tells in the parable of this fig tree and all the trees. You know, when they sprout leaves, you, see, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is near. The leaves basically mean summer is close. When you see brokenness, when you see brokenness intensifying, what that means is God's kingdom is near. He's very close. In fact, we are carrying the Son of Man. We're carrying Jesus and we're witnesses to him now in a world that is broken. Be careful, Jesus gives these three warnings. He says, be careful and he talks about hearts. Be careful of your hearts. As we see, as we get ready for the Son of Man coming, as we get ready for the end, there are three things he mentions, and these are the three. Be careful, guard your hearts, because they could be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life. Our hearts are valuable. Our hearts are where relationship is happening. Where is your heart pulled? As I think about my heart, I have to constantly evaluate why I want to do this, why I want to do that. And some things are good things, but sometimes those good things take me away from better things. So I have to guard where I'm letting my heart pull. Are you guarding your heart? The world has a current, and a current that is very hard and broken. Are we guarding our hearts? And he says, be always on the watch. And pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen. Jesus 
It says, watch. Watch for the brokenness. Watch for the brokenness out there in the world, but also watch the brokenness inside, inside me. Watch out for it and talk to Jesus about it. Let's bring him into the conversation. Don't stay, don't disconnect. Stay connected to Jesus. A while ago, I spoke to a young, uh, young man who, um, whose brother drowned, and he, and he tried to save him. And as we were in a meeting together, um, someone asked him, hey, could you tell me something about your brother? He hadn't been talking the entire time. He wouldn't say anything. And when he was asked to say something about his brother, he said no. So then after the meeting was over, we sat down, just, you know, there were four of us, four guys, and we just, I asked him, so if your brother was here today and he could say, he could say something to you, what do you think he'd say? At first I said, you know, what would you say to your brother? And he's, he's like, I don't understand the question. He didn't want to answer. But then when I asked him, what do you think your brother would say to you after it all happened? And he said, I think he'd say, um, why did you let this happen? How could you? Why didn't you try harder? You let me die. And look at you, you're okay. Should have been you. <laughs> so then I asked them, I paused for a bit, and I said, okay, what if it was you who had drowned and your brother was alive? What would you say to him? And he said, I'm glad it was me and not you. And I hope that your life, that you live a good life, that things go well for you, enjoy it. Take advantage of your life. So I said, I think you and I both know that that first answer was not your brother's voice. I think that's the voice of your guilt. I think it's you feeling guilty for what happened. And it wasn't your fault. And I think the second answer, the one about what you would want for your brother if it was you, I think that would be his answer for you. And he said, you're right. And then he started crying. But he had to look inside the brokenness, recognize it. Do we... Take the time to look into the brokenness that is around us. Do we take time to, actually, time to actually look at ourselves, recognize the brokenness, and cry about it? And It's a healthy thing. It's important. And then I got a chance to pray with him and talk, talk to Jesus and bring Jesus into this conversation. And I'm hoping we'll be able to talk more and he'll do more than just talk to Jesus but have a relationship with Christ. But isn't that what Jesus did for us? I'm glad it was me and not you. He died to give us life. And that's what we're witnesses of. If you know Jesus, regardless of the brokenness, we experience life and joy 
And, it, and when we share it with others, it makes our joy complete. I'd like to invite you right now to just take a couple minutes and let's bring Jesus into this conversation. Would you pray, would you talk to Jesus and would you just ask him, Lord, can you help me recognize the, the brokenness out there around me and recognize the brokenness in me? Would you do that? Go ahead. I'll ask the worship team to come up. As you ask Jesus to reveal the brokenness, would you also ask him how he could make you a witness of the life that he is this week? Would you ask him to show you that as well? I saw someone wanted to clap. I'm like, yeah, that's a good idea. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Father, um, as we think about your son, thank you for the life that you are. Thank you for the privilege of living in us and shining through us. Lord, make us your witnesses this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church. For more information about service times and ways to connect, visit us online at gracecc.net.